Welcome to Relate Your Research, the online podcast for social work researchers. The aim of this podcast is to make social research accessible. Whether you're a social worker, a psychologist, an educator, a health practitioner, anyone, this is for you. Even a parent who might like to find out more about social issues. Conversations are not scripted and are produced to create authentic conversations. We're branching into the ECD field of research. This is going to be part of a series covering a variety of relevant topics related to early childhood development. This means that you'll expect to find our regular Relate Your Research episodes in and amongst early childhood development episodes. We look forward to having you on this journey with us. I'm Jessica Renasson, and research should be relatable. In today's episode, we're talking about nutrition, health and wellness in early childhood development. We have on the line Teresa Wilson, who is a dietitian in a community-based setting for the Department of Health. She's also a postgraduate researcher at Nelson Mandela University. We're excited to hear of her passion and research story. It's really great to have you with us today. Thank you for having me. It's amazing, um, particularly now during a time when online content and online conversations are becoming more and more relevant. So we appreciate your time being able to share with us. And maybe you could start the conversation off for us. This is a part of our ECD series focusing on early childhood development, which is the naught to six age group. And maybe you could share with us some of your background and how you became involved in the ECD sector. Okay, well, um, as a dietitian, one of our really like our main focus areas are children, specifically from zero to five or six years old, which is, as you said, the ECD main range. So yeah, I was working as a as a dietitian, and I got called in on a project collaboration with UNICEF, specifically training ECD practitioners on childhood nutrition. And I just really got fascinated with sort of the situation in the area and later on decided to do my research in it going forward. You and I have worked together over the course of a few years. Um, and it's been wonderful to see that journey. Maybe you could just share with the listeners what brought about your interest in nutrition and the education of nutrition um, in early childhood development. I was always interested in nutrition just from the start when I started my studies. Um, but I really do enjoy teaching and training and um, seeing people grasp a concept. And I just feel that specifically in this ECD field, there's so much room for growth as health professionals. We tend to underestimate the community and the role that community could play. So, yeah, when we started training community members like our ECD practitioners, it was just amazing to see the influence in that. And that just like sort of kept the interest going further and further. So tell us a bit about your study. What was it about? Maybe you could unpack the terminology for those that are, are not in the nutrition or dietetics world. Okay, so I completed my master's study at the end of last year. And the official topic, big terminology and all, was the associations between family history of diseases of lifestyle 
uh, lifestyle behavior and anthropometric nutritional status of preschool children in ECD centers in Nelson Mandela Bay. So that is quite a mouthful. Um, but to simplify it, I was trying to find out if certain parental factors influence the weight status of children. So specifically overweight and obesity in children. So basically looking at if there are any underlying factors of the parents that make their children more likely to be overweight and obese. And some of those factors that we looked at were family history of diseases, um, specific diseases like diabetes or high blood pressure, high cholesterol, as well as the parents' weight and activity level and the household diet. Like the topic suggests, the study was done here in Nelson Mandela Bay. And we did it in ECD centers, specifically in lower to middle income areas. And we had all these children's measurements, like their weight and their height, that were actually done in a previous study in these centers. So all we needed was information from the parents or caregivers. And yeah, the way that we managed to get through to them as participants was by calling parents meetings at the ECD centers of the children. And yeah, then they agreed to take part. Then they were just asked to fill in a questionnaire about their health history and activity level. So yeah, that's briefly what we did. <laughs> and what makes this so relevant for South Africa, particularly in the ECD sector? Of course, you are, are running them from preschools, which is, is an instant kind of beacon for you. But, but why would this be relevant for, for the ECD space? Okay. Well, in the world, um, childhood overweight and obesity is growing at an alarming rate. Um, in Africa specifically, childhood obesity rates have doubled since the year 2000. And closer to home here in South Africa, approximately one in every four children under the age of five, which is our ECD age, is overweight or obese. So that's a quarter of our children. So you might ask me, so what? Why does it matter? Isn't a, ch a chubby child cute? Yes, they can definitely be cute, um, but it also has some serious consequences. So um, we have a group of diseases that normally delay, uh, develop later on in life during adulthood, like our high blood pressure, diabetes, high blood sugar, cholesterol, those sort of things. And we call them non-communicable diseases. And basically it means that they develop through an unhealthy lifestyle throughout life. And it's been proven over and over again that the main contributing factor to these diseases later on in life is being overweight or obese and having very low physical activity and, of course, bad diet. But the crux of all of this is that it starts in childhood already. So an obese child is already on the path of becoming a diabetic or developing high blood pressure at an age like younger than five years old already. So here in South Africa, half the deaths um, recorded daily in South Africa are because of these conditions, which could be prevented in childhood already. So that's from an ECD age, and I just feel like it's a, it's a waste of, of real good life years. So I hope you can now see where ECD comes in. Um, it's really a critical age for health, nutrition, social development, education. It's just critical. And it's a perfect time for us to assess children's statuses. Um, and of course, our ECD practitioners are in a very privileged and a pivotal position 
where they have everyday access to our children. And yeah, they've just got an amazing opportunity to help us set these children up for life on the right path of health and nutrition and development. Yeah, there's definitely a call to action there. Your project is touching on issues of health, issues of nutrition. Then you also start to talk to social development and, and education too. Do you find that being a challenge by combining so many sectors in this topic? So yes and no. Um, with this project, it was a challenge in the sense that there are so many factors to think about um, that could be influencing a child's well-being. And I had to be sure that I was covering all my bases and that you get the full picture of what influences and influencers on a child, sort of the people also who have a role on a child's life. So at the same time, these factors are also intricately entwined and they linked anyway. So that, in a sense, made things easier. But I decided to target the two most important areas of a child's life at this age group, and that was the parents or the caregivers who had knowledge of the family and home environment, and then secondly, our ECD practitioners. So there you can see we're bringing in automatically education as well as your sort of your home environment and the, sort of your social environment as well, and then looking at it from a health and a nutrition perspective. I think we very often underestimate the amount of time that ECD practitioners spend with our children because I think they spend almost as much, if not more, time with our children as caregivers and parents do. So by speaking to the parents and the ECD practitioners and combining these two sort of spheres, I was able to get all the information that I needed about the health and nutrition as well as social development and education information that influenced the children in the study. It was a bit challenging, but I think there are all underneath the surface they're all linked anyway so yeah and what were some of the findings that you found interesting conclusions that you discovered that um, for our listeners who are interested in health or nutrition would be curious to hear about okay so many of our conclusions were things that you would say we already know or that have sort of been long um, accepted or assumed but they have never actually been officially proved. So in the study, we found that children and parents that um, had a particularly high sedentary time, or they spent a lot of time sitting at a desk or in front of a TV. So generally, this is regarded bad for us, because if we're sitting, it means we're not moving. And being physically inactive increases our risk of becoming overweight and obese. So in, in the study specifically, we found that the children had an average of two and a half hours of TV time a day, which is actually quite high. It doesn't seem high to us, but for a young child at this age, it's quite high. And the World Health Organization suggests a maximum of only 60 minutes of screen time a day. And that's the absolute maximum with a minimum of 180 minutes or three hours of physical activity a day. So, yeah, that's sort of outliers we found. Just on that topic, which would be interesting for our listeners, we also have a recorded podcast coming up as part of the series looking at the movement guidelines for early childhood development. And interestingly, in that podcast, screen time also came up and the idea of keeping moving and avoiding being sedentary, being not exercising also came up in that in that episode. So I'll put a link for that in the description if anyone is interested. Yeah, definitely. So those were two things we found. We also found that um, in general that the, the diet of the household 
um, was very low in protein foods and a lot higher in junk foods or fast foods and takeouts and that sort of thing. And it's probably because protein foods are usually considered to be a, a more expensive food item, things like our meat or chicken, fish or eggs. But there are some really affordable proteins that we forget about on a daily basis. Things like our beans, any beans, whether they're speckled beans, kidney beans, any kind of beans, as well as our lentils and our soya mints. They really are affordable and they've got so many great health benefits too. So we'd really like our children to be eating protein foods. We also like to call them building foods every single day. Fast foods and junk foods are sometimes seen to be cheaper or easier or sometimes they're just simpler to make. But we really want to encourage parents not to fall into that trap, rather put in that tiny bit of extra effort to make a good meal and ensure the, the good nutrition of your child. And then just the tip is to sort of keep your takeaways for special occasions or celebrations, like once in a while. Keep them as a, a special treat rather than an everyday thing. And then another finding, as expected, is that overweight or obese parents were more likely to have overweight or obese children. So it makes sense if you think about it. Parents are our role models. So if the children watch parents eating bad diets or choosing not to be active or to spend a lot of time in front of the TV and be lazy the whole day, of course, they're going to copy that. So remember your your child's hero and they look up to you and want to be like you so we need to set a good example for our kids we also found that mothers who had hypertension or high blood pressure were more likely to have obese children and this again is linked to what i've just said because the main contributing factor to an adult develop, developing hypertension is that they're overweight that is one of the main things not always but most of the cases so again um, an overweight mom is, going, is more likely to have an overweight child. So yeah, those were just some interesting findings um, and something to think about. Absolutely. And I'm sure there are many lessons to be learned along the way. Do you have any practical examples? Maybe you could share with us how you feel that your study impacts the work that you do now. You're a community dietitian for the Department of Health. Um, maybe you could share with us what this means for the community. Well, my study has really made me more aware of obese and overweight children. Like as a dietitian's team, we, we like to visit the ECD centers and do outreach as a team at least once a week. Um, and we usually check up on the vitamin A and D women's status of children. And then we screen certain children by weighing and measuring them if we suspect a problem. So sort of before as a dietitian, I'd naturally look for malnutrition just another word for poor nutrition, but I'd look for it in the form of undernutrition. So seen often in underweight or stunted children, children who are too short for their age. But now after the study, I find myself looking more for malnutrition in both forms, specifically now also for overnutrition. So by looking for those overweight and obese children, because they need our help just as much. I also now use the information I have now um, in my one-on-one -on -one sessions with mothers and fathers of the children that are referred to me for being overweight or obese because very often parents or grandparents of these children don't understand how serious it is that their child is obese. So if the parent has high blood pressure or diabetes, it's a great motivator to explain that we don't want their child to develop the same thing later on in life. And that it actually all begins now. You know, there's no no point waiting. And then I guess um, I think the studies also helped us with our nutrition training. So 
as the Department of Health here um, in Nelson Mandela Bay, we offer a three-day ECD nutrition training for all of our ECD practitioners. And the training is offered for free. And we use this training to educate practitioners on the nutrition needs of children. So the training usually includes healthy menus, healthy lunchbox ideas, designing your own ECD nutrition policy, um, doing growth monitoring, um, we teach practitioners a skill of growth monitoring so that they can measure and plot their children and then being able to classify their growth as overweight, overweight or stunted, underweight, sorry. And then basically after this training, it's given these ECD practitioners sort of the authority and the, the knowledge needed to offer basic nutri nutrition advice to parents to help improve the situation. And I, I truly believe that it, it equips our practitioners with valuable knowledge and allows them to use their really, really ideal positioning in the community for the greater good, for health and nutrition well-being of not just those children, but of the future community too. What would your message then be for ECD practitioners, those that are working in the sector? So first of all, I'd like to say to them, um, you are so important. Um, you're in a position to change lives and it's just such a privilege. Um, I'd like to encourage practitioners to make contact with a local nutritionist or dietitian in your area or at your closest clinic because like truly we're, we're here to work with you. I promise we really are not that scary. And I believe we've got the same mission to help protect and improve the nutrition and health of our children. So, um, yeah, we really do want collaboration and to work together. Please come chat to us or better yet, invite us to come and chat to you or even to the parents at your center. We'd love the opportunity to help you with your menu or to design a healthy eating policy or to teach you to recognize poor nutrition in the children attending your facility if you are concerned about a child, don't hesitate. Refer them, send them to the clinic or make contact because you can truly change a child's life. So many of our practitioners worry about speaking to parents about all this nutrition information, specifically after they've done the training and they've just received this load of knowledge. But remember and explain that it's coming out of a place of love and concern for your child. Amazing. Your passion is very, very clearly communicated. And it's so wonderful just to hear the openness of of partnership, really, between departments, between clinics um, and the community. Who else would benefit from this study? So if you're looking at other people who could benefit, maybe professionals, educators, social workers, anyone like that, um, I'd like to say they yes, they could benefit and also maybe a little bit of no. <laughs> um, my study highlighted a lot of areas that need further research. It also highlighted the need for standardized data collection methods and tools. So in a way, I think it may teach many researchers what not to do. But it's also great for highlighting further research needs. Um, the findings have confirmed long-standing assumptions about childhood obesity. And they've really emphasized the need for prevention from a young age, which is good knowledge for all, all health professionals, for the social workers, for educators, as well as for our parents. So the study has suggested recommendations for ECD practitioners, parents, and future researchers in it. So definitely could benefit all of those involved. Do you have any other recommendations that you would like to share? 
So for ECD practitioners, um, through the study, we recommended that they regularly attend a nutrition training offered, offered by the Department of Health if it is available. Okay. Um, the knowledge just allows practitioners to become sort of nutrition champions um, in this area of childhood nutrition. It's also recommended that the practitioners and our nutrition champions essentially emphasize the necessity of good nutrition, okay, because we're sort of at this fundamental stage of life. So rules, policies, and available information on school menus, lunch boxes, etc., um, they all sort of need to be standardized to reduce this conflicting messages that we've got. And I believe that practitioners should be holding regular parents' meetings to share this information or to update parents when new policies and things come through, just to be sharing and communicating this nutrition knowledge. And of course, we'd love to see practitioners implementing the nutrition knowledge at their centers. So it's quite easy to do starting a food garden or vegetable garden, getting the children involved implementing healthy eating policies so you would outline the foods that are allowed in healthy lunch boxes coming into the center basically outline what we advise parents to rather not be including in in the child's diet we also suggest that practitioners make use of the syllabus and the classroom themes to introduce healthy eating and nutrition to the children from this young age and then you you build their knowledge from that and you get them excited about nutrition as well and get them involved then for parents, it's recommended that we try and limit our screen or TV time at home, not just for us, but also for the children, and then encourage activity and playtime, get involved and stimulate those children. We'd love households to include more protein foods if possible. Every single day, as we've mentioned before, um, you can really go for some affordable options. It doesn't have to be the expensive ones every day. Another recommendation for parents is that they share their knowledge, hold support groups or gatherings where families and communities can sort of discuss this nutrition information and the well-being of children. There's nothing like a community gathering or a family gathering to share ideas. And yeah, I just encourage parents to be, a, to be role models. Your children are watching you and they believe in you. You are the heroes. So make it count. Yeah. I love that. So what challenges, if any, did you experience during your study? We have a variety of graduate students and researchers who are part of our audience who are, are waiting with bated breath to hear your your research story, the, the story behind the study. Okay, well, I, <laughs> I had quite a few challenges during the study, as I believe that most studies will, will come across. For me, I think my first challenge was accessing parents. Because many parents work, often a caregiver or another family member um, attended these parents' meetings at the ECD centres. So it was a family member or someone else filling in the questionnaire on behalf of the parent, which made things quite tricky for me because um, the questionnaire asked quite in-depth information about health history and diet and physical activity of the parents themselves. So um, when it was another person pulling it in, that might not have been so accurate. Um, there was also a problem with people overestimating the amount of physical activity they do. I think we all like to believe that we're a lot more active than what we really are. Um, so yeah, I, I definitely say that your tool 
gathering this data needs to be really, really, really well vetted. But yeah, in general, I think the study went off well. I came up against a few challenges writing up, um, but I think that's sort of par for the course um, and that a good supervisor will always help you through that. But in general, the communities were really open and accepting and the ECD centres and their practitioners truly helped me and they really did their best to assist me where they could. And I think the reason why they were so open was that the practitioners sort of understood the benefit of the study and how it could improve parents' knowledge on child nutrition as well. So I think they really understood the heart of collaboration and how in the end it's it's all to the benefit of the children. Thank you. How do you foresee further research opportunities growing from this topic? Wow, I think there is really a lot of research that can sort of span out from here, some of it which I think is already taking place. So, for instance, we've been teaching um, teachers and practitioners how to do growth monitoring um, at a community level through this nutrition training, but it would be amazing to be able to teach parents that. A few years ago, we did try and teach parents to sort of measure nutrition status using the mid-upper arm circumference and a tape to do that. But there just sort of wasn't enough information available on that. But I'd love to take that forward. Normally that mid-upper arm circumference is used to diagnose sort of malnutrition in the form of undernutrition. So it would be amazing to develop cutoffs for obesity just because all you need at home is a tape. You don't need anything fancy. You just need to know the cutoffs and a measuring tape. And it's just a fast and ideal way to be able to assess a child's nutritional status. I think we should be looking at a lot more community involvement of ECDs and parents. Um, I know that there is research ongoing at the moment looking at strategies in South Africa to lower diabetes, just because at the moment it is one of our chronic conditions that is just increasing drastically. So, um, and one of the strategies that they're like actively pursuing is on a community level in the ECDs starting at this young age. So it's really, really exciting. Yeah, I just think there's just, yeah, a lot of research. You could go in any direction with this. But yeah, community involvement and childhood is sort of a key to to many health conditions and the future of preventative medicine, in my opinion. Fantastic. Teresa, thank you so much for sharing your passion and insight and project journey with us. And we hope that our listeners will enjoy the links below to some of the resources that you've mentioned, as well as your study. And yeah, we will we'll definitely stay in touch and hopefully t- we'll have you on the show again. Thank you. Thanks for having me. That was Teresa Wilson talking about the common diseases of lifestyle affecting early childhood development. Join us as we continue this journey over the coming months looking at topics focused on social development, education, health, you name it, we're on it. If you enjoyed this episode, why not subscribe? Once again, thank you for your ongoing support. We're in a very uncertain time in South Africa, but in the world. And it's really encouraging to see how people are coming together and supporting online businesses and um, initiatives. So from my side, thank you. 
I'm Jessica Renarsson, and research should be relatable.